The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 360 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is what family caregivers should know about psychiatric rehabilitation for people with severe mental illnesses, such as schizophrenia. Now, one factor that makes mental illnesses severe is their consequences for the individuals who live with them, for their families and family caregivers, and for the societies in which they live. The consequences of mental illnesses can be very severe. Uh, Now, some people By no means all, living with schizophrenia experience psychosis. This is a severe disorder of brain functioning that involves loss of contact with reality, seeing things that aren't there, and hearing things that other people don't hear. It may involve self-harm, harming oneself, suicide, or violence towards others, even to the point of killing. And it may involve behaviors that risks the individual being shot to death by police. Now, people living with another severe mental illness, major depression, experience persistent feelings that interfere with everyday life, such as sadness and worthlessness that amounts to despair and thoughts of death or suicide, which they sometimes unfortunately attempt. People living with bipolar disorder and other severe mental illness experience moods that swing from extraordinarily happy, which is what physicians call mania, to extremely sad and hopeless, which is depression. And they may also have episodes of psychosis, and if they're not treated, they may experience damaged relationships, they may perform poorly at their school job or school, and they may be suicidal. Now, severe mental illnesses lack complete cures in the way that surgeons can cut out cancers, but severe mental illnesses can recover and do recover with appropriate care, which is why our topic, what family caregivers should know about psychiatric rehabilitation for people with severe mental illnesses, such as schizophrenia, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. Now, to discuss this topic, our guest is Dr. Rami Rudnik. Rami is a certified psychiatrist and a PhD-trained philosopher. He's an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of British Columbia. 
He's the medical director of the Mental Health and Substance Use Services and the head of the Department of Psychiatry at the Vancouver Island Health Authority. He's a certified psychiatric rehabilitation practitioner and the Canadian certified physician executive. He staffs psychiatrist at the Victoria Mental Health Centre in Victoria, British Columbia. And he's a member of the Rotman Institute of Philosophy at Western University. And he's founder of the Canadian unit of the International Network of a UNESCO Chair in Bioethics. So welcome to the show, Ramin. Thank you, Gordon. Now, first question for you. Please tell us more about your life, your career, and any experience you have with family caregiving. Rami? Thank you. So, um, I started my uh, career as a physician in Israel, where I was born uh, and raised. I studied medicine in Israel. I then served as a general practitioner in the military in Israel, started my PhD in philosophy during that. Then I trained as a specialist in psychiatry in Israel. From there, I continued to a fellowship in, uh, at the University of Toronto, where I studied and subspecialized in psychiatric rehabilitation as well as bioethics. And since then, I've been practicing and leading and teaching and studying psychiatric rehabilitation as a major focus of my work. What about family caregiving? Have you any experience, either as a, a physician or in your own family, experience with family caregiving? So personally, not in my own family, but for sure a lot of experience with providing services to individuals with serious mental illness as well as to their family members, be it parents, siblings, as well as other significant others, both within the extended family as well as within non-biological relationships such as uh, spouses, uh, close friends, neighbors. In mental health care, we often consider that broadly defined family as as part of the family, particularly right. if the people involved are supportive for the to the client with a ser, uh, serious mental illness. Right. Now, I want to ask you, please, to tell us what recovery means for schizophrenia and other severe mental illnesses. What is recovery, Rami? So, recovery is a very important notion these days. Uh, in the world regards, in regards to mental health care. The Mental Health Commission of Canada, as well as many states in the U.S., as well as other countries, have endorsed recovery as the ultimate goal for people with mental illness. And by recovery, the research has made it quite clear that we actually mean more than one thing. The first sense of recovery is a group of outcomes of things that would like to happen for a per person with mental illness. And that would mean less symptoms or no symptoms. That would also mean more independent functioning, better quality of life, and those types of indicators that are quite important, of course, for people. But there's another set of meanings of recovery that has been teased out lately, and that is not recovery as outcome, but rather as process, or some people call it being in recovery. And that primarily focuses on 
having a personally meaningful life and valued social roles. That type of recovery is obviously primarily determined by the person themselves because only a, a person can define for themselves what's meaningful for them and what's a valued social role for them. When we provide mental health services, we try to address all those types of senses of recovery, both outcomes as well as processes, both more objective as well as more subjective. Now, I would like to ask you to tell us about psychiatric rehabilitation, which is your work, as it relates to schizophrenia and other severe mental illnesses. And to the extent that um, you want to, please also talk about the way in which it relates psychiatric rehabilitation relates to the sort of challenges that the little community that forms around that you were just talking about uh, benefits from. Rami? For sure. So maybe I can start uh, with a very brief background. Psychiatric rehabilitation is one set of interventions, clinical and social interventions, that help people integrate better into the community. There are other sets of interventions that are helpful too. Of course, many people know about psychiatric medications, but there are also psychotherapies that help people. So psych, psych rehab, as we call it in short, is one among many, but it is an important set of interventions. And fundamentally, it's composed of helping people develop and maintain skills that help them function well in the community. And the second part is helping people develop and maintain supports that help them function well in the community. And primarily when we talk about functioning in rehab, we talk about two aspects of that. One is that the person is successful in the environment. And the second is that the person is, is satisfied in the environment. And of course, both aspects are important. They don't necessarily always go together, but good psychiatric rehabilitation focuses on both of them by building and maintaining skills and supports. And of course, as part of that, obviously, families are often and typically supportive, and so we work with families for people with mental illness to further support them. But some of the skill building actually is also done with families uh, in order to help not just the person with a mental illness, but the family supporting them do well and feel well in the community. Rami, please tell us a little bit more about what success means in this process that uh, psychiatric rehabilitation involves and the process as, as it brings to people with the uh, severe mental illnesses. What is success, in other words? So it's a great question. Um, I'll use primarily the Boston University Psychiatric Rehabilitation Center approach. That center was a pioneering center in the 70s and 80s. It still operates and is very productive. And the way Bill Anthony, who was the lead then, parsed it uh, out was that success and satisfaction relate to environments of choice. And so each one of us, and that includes people with mental illness, has preferences 
for what types of environments they want to live in, residential, vocational, educational, and so on. And there are some um, standards that have to be accomplished in order to be successful, say, in a residential environment or in a vocational environment, meaning to do well, and to do well based not just on one's own personal perspective, but based on one's uh, social environment's perspective, be it the family, the neighbors, the landlord, etc. And so we can, we can and do break it down with the client to the fine uh, fine-grained details of the, the elements required to do well in those very specific types of environments that the person chooses to live in. And so to be successful, let's say, as a, an assistant gardener in a landscaping firm for employment is quite different than being su- successful as a retail uh, person in a store. Both are employees, but the skills needed and the supports required are sometimes quite different. And that's what we analyze with the clients and their families and anyone else who's supporting them in order to come up with a plan on what could help the person do well, which actually means be successful and continue to be successful so it's sustainable in their environments of choice, vocational, residential, educational, spiritual, and on and on it goes. That's very clear and very important, and thank you for that, because that helps us understand that the success is a matter of context. It's a matter of where people are, what they do, what they enjoy doing, and where life has put them. So thank you for that clarification. Now, we've come to the time where we have to take a short break. Rami, this is where I always say that we have to pay the rent. So we're going to do that now. Um, This is Dr. Gordon Atley, and my guest is Dr. Rami Rudnick. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Rami Rudnik. Our topic is what family caregivers should know about psychiatric rehabilitation for people with severe mental illnesses such as schizophrenia. So now, Rami, let's talk about the challenges to recovery for schizophrenia and other severe mental illnesses. So please, Rami, highlight for us the most challenging of the challenges experienced by individuals who are on the path of recovery, having been through the kind of context training, skill training leading to success, um, and when their path of recovery is from schizophrenia or other severe mental illnesses, what are the challenges and the most challenging of the challenges that they experienced? Rami? Thanks, Gordon. So um, I'll start with what may be the, the huge, the most, uh, the largest barrier, I would think, for people with serious mental illness, and that is stigma, or as we now prefer to call it, discrimination because often the public, um, which is all of us, thinks that people with schizophrenia, bipolar disorders, severe depression, and so on, can't actually function well, and that is incorrect. The science has shown repeatedly that with the right skills and the right support that most people can acquire and maintain, they can do well, as we talked about previously, but the notion by many people still in our society that um, people with serious mental illness can't do well is a major barrier. And that pans out in housing when landlords think that people with serious mental illness will not function well in their apartment or may even be dangerous, which is a myth. Most people with serious mental illness are not dangerous. It can uh, go to employers who would not often want to hire a person with serious mental illness, even if they have the talent and the skills to do the work well. And so, so it is a major barrier. And there are campaigns out there, some of them evidence-based, to reduce stigma of the public. New Zealand, as well as a few other countries, have done a pretty good job of that, and it's been shown in research. Canada uh, and the states are following suit and using some of that research in order to reduce stigma towards people with serious mental illness. So I would say that's the major part of the challenges. But there are other challenges. Obviously, the disorder itself, such as schizophrenia, but also bipolar disorder, comes with some symptoms that may cause challenges, they're fairly 
often easily treated, but even if they're not, we can address that and help people cope better with the symptoms so that they can actually be more successful and satisfied. It's about providing access to those evidence-based services. And fortunately, in most uh, jurisdictions in North, North America, that access is available even when people are moving, uh, are living remotely, say in quite rural areas, we can now provide telepsychiatry through video in order to provide that access to medications, even to counseling, and also to some psychiatric rehabilitation. Right. Now, please highlight for us the most challenging of the challenges experienced by individuals who are on, on the path of recovery. Um, from always schizophrenia and other severe mental illnesses, while at the same time they're receiving mental health services. What are the challenges for them there? Rami? Thanks, Gordon. So I'll, I'll go back to stigma. Unfortunately, there's also stigma within the healthcare establishment, including the mental health care establishment. And often it looks as if some service providers in the mental health care establishment have lost hope for some service users, meaning their aspirations for them and with them are not that high, which is not, again, supported by the research, but, but we do see that sometimes it's a result of burnout of the service providers because of a lot of intense work. Sometimes it's about old-school thinking that isn't up-to-date with the current evidence. Um, but there is work to try to reduce that too. An example is uh, reducing um, uh, stigma of family physicians towards psychiatric patients. And there's currently a, a study going on in the East Coast in Canada uh, trying to do exactly that also with emergency room physicians. That particular intervention is a Kaiser Permanente Award winner. Kaiser Permanente is a very large, highly progressive health organization in the States, and it has chose, chosen to give that award to this Canadian intervention because it is showing clearly that healthcare providers who adopt that uh, and provide some of those basic counseling services to people with psychiatric patients do not only improve their skills, but their attitudes towards psychiatric patients and their families also improve. They stigmatize less and they have more hope for them. And that, of course, is contagious because hope is so crucial and so important in, in healthcare. Just a very quick comment back to you. It's almost as though stigmatization, if that falls, hope rises, and perhaps the other way around that um, hope falls when stigmatization rises. Just quickly, have I got that right? Exactly. Okay. Now, next question is still about the most challenging of the challenges, but this time I want to ask you about the most challenging of the challenges experienced by the families of individuals, you know, with the severe mental illnesses who are on the path of recovery. What are the family's challenges? Rami? Thanks, Gordon. I'll start with a study I did in Israel before I moved to Canada, and it was a study with the National Family Association of People with Mental Illness, very similar to NAMI in the States, the National Alliance of the Mentally Ill 
in the state. And we did a survey of their members, the family members, primarily parents of people with psychiatric disorders, to understand what are the burdens on them. And by far, the highest burden was not actually practical, although there were practical burdens, financial and physical, but the highest burden was emotional. And it was worrying about the future of their um, adult child and their prospects. Um, And this was particularly true for parents who were aging. And uh, this um, bridges into the more general issue where often families struggle with this um, uncertainty on will things get better for their mentally ill family member, and even if they do, will they stay uh, well? And to my mind, that is a major challenge that the mental health service uh, can actually provide some support for because the issue is understanding what services are available, planning ahead for them, making sure things are secure enough for the, re- for the mentally ill relative, but also, and that's crucial, allowing growth, enabling and encouraging growth and growth of a person, the person with a mental illness, like any other person, comes with some choices. Some of them may sometimes be poor, but it's about... Uh, taking safe risks or safe enough risks, that is not an easy balance between safety and risk, but that is actually what allows for recovery and growth. And there are ways to learn how to balance them out. There's a very good family intervention that's evidence-based called multifamily psychoeducation. came initially from Yale University, but it's spread all over the world. And that is part of what it does. It helps people understand the families with the patients, what helps, what may, need, may not be that helpful, and how to balance out the personal choice of the person with a mental illness with the supports required to provide some safety nets if there's some slippage and the person isn't doing well for a while so that they can bounce back. Now, you mentioned planning ahead. Um, on this show, which has been going now for almost four years, I've done one or two episodes on the broad theme of what will happen to my child when I'm gone. That is, parents who are concerned about what will happen when they die and whether their child, maybe an adult, will be looked after in the way that the child needs. Have you any comments about that? I do. I think that part of care is exactly that. And I encourage families and patients to be assertive in asking their uh, mental health teams to address that also and not just the immediate and short term. The long term is as important. There are evidence-based approaches to use there too. The clinicians sometimes need to learn them. There's a couple of American researchers, Agnes Hatfield and, um, uh, and, and another colleague of her, who actually published papers and books for families on how to do that in a very structured way. Obviously, the legal environment, which changes from one jurisdiction to another, is part of that. People can put in place trust. Uh, they can put in place uh, estate um, planning as part of their financial long-term planning. 
In order to do that, clinical teams are helpful, but they're often not enough. People need to uh, address that with lawyers, with accountants, with financial advisors, come together as a group, as, a, as an extensive, extensive broad group that works together with the patient based on their goals to provide the support now, but also for the future. Right. And that's quite a challenge. Now, we've reached once more the time where we're going to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Rami Rudnik. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Rami Rudnick. Our topic is what family caregivers should know about psychiatric rehabilitation for people with severe mental illnesses such as schizophrenia. Really, Rami, sorry, let's talk about ways in which psychiatric rehabilitation helps overcome the challenges that we've you were talking about in the last segment. Um, now, first question then is, please highlight for us the ways in which psychiatric rehabilitation helps individuals overcome the challenges that you were talking about 
and particularly the challenges of stigma, stigma and those kinds of prejudices. Rami? Hey, thanks, Gordon. Um, so I'll go back first to those pillars of psychiatric rehabilitation, building and maintaining ad- what we call adaptive, meaning helpful, effective skills and supports within environments of choice. And I want to just touch on that very important notion of an environment of choice. Again, a Boston University um, uh, term that has become quite important for clinical care because it means that we follow the lead of the person with a mental illness. They tell us what goals they want to put in place and work towards, and often it's it's, um, within an environment of choice. Again, residential, vocational, educational, and so on. And we help them build the skills, but we absolutely also need to help them build the support and maintain those supports. And most often, those supports are social supports. Um, And to do that, we have to work with stigma because some people in the environment, many actually, have uh, um, some negative attitudes, be it lack of hope, be it fear, all sorts of negative attitudes towards people with mental illness. And so part of the work the team does, and rehab is always a team effort. Um, It's not a solo physician doing work with a patient. It has to be a team that also outreaches with the client into the community, works with the landlords, works with employers, works with the tutors in college. Um, From there, actually involves people in the public, in the rehabilitation effort. There's some interesting caveats that um, in rural environments we have many less professionals, so we actually need to work more with natural support and with the public. But it works as well. We need more research on those environments, but we can do that work. And so if you look at what an environment of choice is composed of, it's a setting, but it's also a role that the person has. And so we help people get the best fit between the role and the setting within their environment of choice. This work takes months and years. It's not a quick fix, as some people may think, but eventually we see great, great outcomes. Now, I want to move to the next question, which is the parallel, that is, We're talking about the ways in which psychiatric rehabilitation helps individuals who are experiencing challenges while they're receiving mental health services. And you've already made clear that stigma and related things are part of the problem also when people are receiving mental health services. So how does psychiatric rehabilitation help in those kinds of situations? Rami? Thanks, Gordon. This is uh, some of the cutting edge of psychiatric rehabilitation. More and more, we're helping people with mental illness learn to be, um, for example, assertive with their psychiatrists and their social workers. Assertive doesn't mean oppositional. It means they're very clear what they want, what they need. They identify, they learn to identify, and then identify what may be some of the symptoms they may be experiencing, what may be some of the symptoms they disagree with, but maybe their family or their uh, physician or nurse think they have. They learn to have a constructive, positive discussion around that. 
fortunately, by now, we have evidence-based interventions on how to do that, both on a one-to-one basis between a practitioner and, and the service user, but also in groups. A famous, na- a famous one now in the States is called Illness Management and Recovery. It's federally endorsed as a best practice. It's well-based in research. Uh, another one that's also quite famous in the U.S. and elsewhere is called RAP, uh, Wellness Recovery Action Planning. All these interventions, individual and group are based on what we once called psychoeducation, which means training patients in um, or informing them what their symptoms are, but the new interventions go beyond that. They help people build better coping skills, including with their healthcare providers, so that they can work more collaboratively with them. Now, let me just push you a little bit further on, on that particular point. Working with the healthcare system in the past, certainly, and I think still to a large degree, is a matter of doctors. I, I want you to answer this question. Rami, are you saying basically, yes, doctors, of course, you know, medical doctors are, of course, important, but there are other people, other specializations and other services which become increasingly important uh, while we're looking for success on the path to recovery. Have I said that right? Do you agree with me or do you disagree with me? Exactly correct. This is an interdisciplinary. We don't even talk anymore about multidisciplinary. We say interdisciplinary or interprofessional because it's not just each profession doing their work. They have to work together with the patient and the family, and they interact with each other. They feed into each other's um, uh, input on what is best care, and they learn from each other. So the team is better than each one doing it by themselves. It's not always a very cheap way of providing care, but it is the most effective way of providing care for people with serious mental illness. And the prime example of that is called assertive community treatment, which is a community-based, very intense, multi- and interprofessional team, physician, nurse, social worker, occupational therapist, vocational rehabilitation, rehabilitation expert, and others that provide care for people with particularly serious mental illnesses. The most recent addition to those types of teams are what we call peer supports or peer support workers, or people who themselves have mental illness but are part of the team and share their experience, their positive experience, as well as how to address challenges with the team as well as with the clients, with the people who have mental illness and are receiving services from those teams. Right. Now, let's ask about families. Psychiatric rehabilitation, and I'm probably looking at that for the individual with the severe mental illness, but what about families? Um, Are they part of this multidisciplinary team that you're talking about, interdisciplinary team, sorry, that you're talking about? Um, What kind of support and help do they need from the interdisciplinary team to overcome the challenges that they experience when they're caring for their family members? Rami? Thanks, Gordon. Families are so important, of course. They're important, important in pretty much everyone's lives. Why would that be different for people with mental illness? You know, there may have been a thought way, way back that 
people may not need to be supported by their families as much as um, as the general population because of all sorts of stigma, not just towards the patient, but often towards the family. We've gone beyond that. We now know families are and should be supportive when they're still involved. There are situations when the family can't be involved anymore, and that's understandable. But in most cases, actually, families are involved, want to be involved, and need to be supported. And so that long-term planning that we talked about is one way of doing that. But even in the shorter term, helping families build skills so that they know what to do when in a way that's effective, if it's not, if it hasn't been working well, has shown to be quite effective. Uh, I mentioned the Yale University multifamily psychoeducation approach. That's one. There's been many other of that type to help families build the skills, but also the focus with the Yale University intervention is on a multifamily intervention. So it's not just one family. It's a few families and the patients coming together and learning to cope better, and that is because we see the long-term advantage where families learn to support each other across different families and eventually can morph into self-support that's helpful. And so there's lots we can do with family to help families in addition to helping their mentally ill relatives. Unfortunately, in some services, that either may not be a high priority or the skills of the providers are not fully in place. But the good news is it doesn't take many years for a service to build that capacity. So when a group of families come forward to a, to a service and say, we want this and that evidence-based family intervention to help us with our mentally ill relatives, it's a very legitimate request to my mind. In other words, the, I'm kind of putting this to you as an assertion. Families are now part of the team, but in their own particular way and specialized way, and they are respected more and more by, I'm going to call them the professionals uh, who are working in the field of psychiatry. Uh, am I right in saying, yes, families are getting more respect? Yes, there are some challenges, and some of them are legal. And so uh, I imagine many of the listeners uh, would know what I'm talking about when I say that in some many jurisdictions, not just some, um, there's, uh, there are privacy laws, and if the patient is legally capable to manage their own personal health information and decide that the team cannot share that with the family in order to have a fully collaborative approach, then the clinical team's hands are bound. We cannot right. disclose that information to the family if the patient disallows that. Many families have come forth and said, this doesn't make sense. The person is either living with us or we're supporting them. Otherwise, we need to know what's happening with them. So there are some legal barriers, but, yep. but often that can actually be addressed well, and the patient usually is fine once the, the, the issues are explained. Usually patients are fine with sharing the information with the family. Very good. Now, once again, it's time for the break. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley. My guest is Dr. Rami Rudnick. 
You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and SharingTheBurden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Ramia Rudney. Our topic is what family caregivers should know about psychiatric rehabilitation for people with severe mental illnesses such as schizophrenia. Now, I want to talk about promoting psychiatric rehabilitation and related support. But I have a particular context, and that is I'm speaking to you from the province of Ontario in Canada, and in 2014, that's this year, the The Human Rights Commission of Ontario expanded its human rights powers by introducing a new policy aimed at preventing discrimination based on mental health disabilities and addictions. Now, that's discrimination, but I think it's the same thing as stigmatization. How could such a policy help individuals and families living with severe mental illnesses obtain psychiatric rehabilitation and the sorts of support they need? Rami? Thanks, Gordon. This kind of policy is is crucial to help people integrate better into the community, which is what 
psychiatric rehabilitation is about. It's about community integration that's personally meaningful and includes valued social roles. It has been difficult for many people with serious mental illness to do that because in order to do that, um, they need to have access to environments of choice. Again, going back to the residential and vocational and educational and so on. When there's discrimination and stigma, that's a barrier to access those environments of choice. And so that kind of policy can help reduce the barriers. But of course, policies are not enough. They have to be enforced. And in addition to enforcement, there has to be education to the public. Why does this make sense? And what are the benefits, not just to people with mental illness and their families, but to the public at large. And there's a lot of benefit. The research is showing that once those barriers are reduced uh, and people integrate into their environments of choice, they do not only uh, become more satisfied and more successful, they actually contribute to society. We need people who work in trades and so on. There's an untapped potential of many people with mental illness, including serious mental illness, who currently are not accessing that market enough, but could actually be workers in that. There's research where some of us are doing that's cutting edge, trying to help people with serious mental illness move from low income to careers that have much higher income, and uh, we see a lot of promise in that. So I would say policies are important. This is a progressive policy. Enforcement as well as education should go hand in hand with such policies. Now, I've got a little bit of a history of a social activist as a social activist. My question to you then is this. Should we be trying through a form of social activism to spread the idea that human rights for people with mental illnesses so that they get the care they need and so that they do not experience stigmatization and those kinds of things? Is that something that you think we should be activist about? Rami? I agree. I think the question is the method to use for that activism, because the stigma research is showing that the old way of activism, which is protesting, actually does not reduce stigma for this population, whereas a newer way, which is having personal contact, preferably in person, but even through videos, New Zealand has a very good TV campaign that has been shown to reduce stigma, actually makes a difference. So I would think about social activism in a bit of a different way, but still, of course, the assertive, uh, persistent insistence on people with mental illness having the same rights as anyone else. Right. Very good. Um, now, different question. What's your message for family caregivers who've recently learned that a young adult family member has been diagnosed with schizophrenia? Rami, what's your message for them? Gordon, I think this is a, such an important question. Um, the first message is there is hope, a lot of hope. People with mental illness, including in their early stages of mental illness, can do very well. And their trajectories in the long run can be further improved if intervention is provided fairly early. There's enough research on first episode psychosis as well as first episode uh, mood disorders that we know that. 
So hope is crucial for that. The second is being assertive um, in asking for what you as a family with the patient think could be helpful based on the literature search you've done just through the web, based on family connections and what other people with more experience have told you. Don't be shy. Be assertive. Ask for what you think you as a family and your mentally ill relatives need because it is available. Um, and uh, in some services, it will be offered. In some services, it may not be as quickly offered, but you can ask and, and get that. And the third thing is uh, once you settle down enough and you know what you should be getting and you're accessing that, my hope is that more and more families and patients will become advocates in the public arena for more and better services, more research, more teaching in universities and in hospitals and clinics on how to do psychiatric rehabilitation well. The science is there, the practice is established, but uh, not enough providers are doing that and not enough students are being trained in that. And the short, quick message is it's a matter of advocacy rather than activism. And I've learned that from you just now, and I think you're absolutely right. And who knows, I may come back to you for some more advice about how to advocate without being a a nuisance activist. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this excellent episode, and I want to say thank you, Rami, um, for everything, because what you've done is to make clear that there is hope There is recovery, there is success, but it requires involvement of families, of teams, interdisciplinary teams, and that sense of optimism that you yourself convey so successfully. So for the sake of us all, all success to you in the work you're doing, Rami. Thank you so much, Gordon, and thanks to all the listeners, hopefully... This has helped. I believe it will, and there may be more. Now, I want to thank you to our, say thank you to our listeners, and I want to say also something else, that with Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research to find out what you, our listeners, think about topics, important topics, such as the one we've just been listening to. So please email me to hear more or to get involved. Our next episode will be schizophrenia, memories, family memoirs, and family caregiving. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.